The scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It can be found on page 914 in the Black Bibles. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Good morning. The Lord be with you. Uh, thank you, Cynthia, Tom, for that great reading, and Daniel and team for leading us in song this morning. Uh, if you'd like to take notes uh, in your order of worship, just note that the title for today's sermon is How Jesus Serves the Church, Not How Jesus Saves the Church. I mention that because uh, today we are wrapping up a sermon series that we began a little over a month ago on church officers. That is people whom God gives as gifts to his church, to care for them, to lead them, to govern them. And today we're wrapping up that series by looking at the role or the office of deacons. Um, now, Acts 6, uh, that, uh, those first seven verses that you just read, uh, generally has been used to explain the origins of the template or, or the paradigm for uh, what we think about deacons, who they are and what they do. That is, although the noun itself doesn't appear in this text that you just heard and that you just read, the verb form actually is there. Uh, and so in this text, we are beginning to see the stages or the beginning stages of what will eventually become uh, or become known as the office of deacon, uh, from the Greek diakonos, which is also translated as servant or minister in the New Testament. And so by, by the time we get to 1 Timothy 3, which a lot of us know as kind of where we get the description for both elders and deacons, we get their character traits, which are similar. Um, and so the office by then has been established. It's developed into its technical sense, which we know today. Now, just a little bit of background before we look at the text itself. Uh, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, is giving a historical account of the beginnings of the church of Jesus Christ as it was established, as it took root uh, in people's lives, and how it was extended and multiplied exponentially. So that starting in Jerusalem... Uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, by the time we get to Acts chapter 28, the end of the book, 
the religion, Christianity, has extended to the very heart of the Roman Empire. We often have this picture of the early church as, as the model church, that if only we were to go back to the beginning, that if only we'd go back to the very foundations of the church, we would somehow be more holy, more pure, more righteous. But what texts like these remind us is that the perfect church does not exist and has never existed. In other words, we continue to be the same imperfect, mixed, immature batch of Christians. And that was also the case in the early church. And here, we see them encounter a pretty big obstacle or barrier to uh, the extension of the message of the kingdom to the gospel. And that's what we'll look at today. Now, since our focus this morning is on deacons, we'll look at this text kind of in in three stages. First, why deacons? Uh, Second, who are deacons? And third, what do deacons do? So pretty simple outline, why, who, and what. So let's look at the text this morning. Why deacons? Now, verse 1 Uh, which you just heard or read, begins by describing a problem that arose. Listen again. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. Now did you catch the problem? What's the problem? Church growth and multiplication. The text is summarizing what the previous chapters have been describing or telling us. You'll recall in Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, there were 3,000 people who responded or affirmed the faith. Two chapters later, Peter preached a second sermon, and an additional 5,000 people uh, accept the faith. So that through two sermons, 8,000 new believers are added to the faith. Acts 2.47 summarizes this and says that the Lord added to them, that is to the church, to the gatherings, to the disciples, day by day those that were saved. Well then, so what's the issue? Sounds pretty good to me. Well, you recall that the gospel of the kingdom is not primarily about our souls going to heaven when we die. That's part of the picture, but the full biblical picture is about God's kingdom coming down to earth and his glory covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. In other words, our eternity will not be spent on clouds millions of light years away from earth. Eternity will be spent right here in a renewed creation, in renewed bodies. Therefore, for the early church, looking after the physical, the social, the material, even the financial well-being of its members, wasn't aspirational. It wasn't a nice thought or, or a nice gesture that good Christian people do. It was foundational to whom they believed God to be, a God who cares and looks after the widows and the orphans and the poor. This is critical to understanding the story of the Bible and the mission of the church. So verse 1 talks about the early church having a daily distribution of food. This is what 
we might call today mercy ministry. It was meeting the needs of the poor, especially among God's people. This was a priority that Jesus had given and Paul also talks about, but that actually goes back to ancient times, to Old Testament times. God's vision for humanity, God's purpose for humanity has always been one of abundance. You recall uh, John, senior pastor, uh, has been preaching a series through the book of Genesis. And very early on, we get this picture, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the Garden of Eden, of what God's vision, purpose, dream for humanity and the life that they were meant to experience on this earth was like. It was a life full of uh, wholeness and flourishing and thriving in all dimensions and in all areas of life. Now, since the fall of man into sin, of course, we don't experience that fullness anymore. But the church is meant to be a picture of that future reality that we believe will be true here. God's new heavens and new earth. So God's intention is for his people to begin to experience and live into life abundant here and now. Not perfectly, not fully, but truly. And therein lies the problem then. That we begin to see in Acts chapter 6. The problem is that as the church grows, the needs also grow exponentially, so that no longer do they have to look after the physical well-being of 12 or 120 or 500. That would be enough work to keep any committee busy enough, but now you have an additional 8,000 people to look after. And specifically, we read that the widows in the community had started to be overlooked. And we know that this was an especially acute problem because in that culture, men were the main breadwinners. So a widow would be left in an incredibly precarious position, especially if she had no children or family. They'd be vulnerable to whatever the economic climate was. And so God is especially mindful of them and they are consistently mentioned throughout the Bible, as those that deserve special attention. But on top of the fact that the early church knew that they had a responsibility to look after the needs among them, this particular situation became a source of division. Turn this off. You'll notice in verse 2 that it, the text continues to read that a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, who, who were those? The Hellenists were people who were Jew by ancestry. They were Jews by lineage, but they were Greek by culture. In the book of Acts, they are Christian converts from among the Jews who were living in Israel, but Culturally, uh, linguistically, lifestyle, behavior, they were Greek. Now the Hebrews in this text then describe the Christian converts among the Jews born and raised in Israel. And they'd grown up in that cultural environment. So you can imagine already 
that there was a tension because of their cultural differences. But on top of that, they had religious differences. Hellenists, though they might have grown up Jewish, had different ways of worshiping, of living, of behaving, of thinking. Because they had grown up outside of Israel. The Hebrews, on the other hand, had grown up in the land of the patriarchs, in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They spoke the Hebrew language. They lived near the temple, and so they worshiped there. So you can at least imagine and see that the issue beneath the issue wasn't simply, well, you're overlooking the widows. It's you're treating us like second-class citizens. That was the argument. You're treating us differently. Now, let's be nice to the early church for a moment, right? I mean, think about it. Here comes Peter one Sunday afternoon to the leadership debrief. And he goes, so Andrew, how was your day? Oh, it was fine. You know, I taught a Sunday school on the Psalms. Great. John, how was, how was your day? Oh, it was fine. You know, exercise a couple of demons. What about you, Peter? What have you been up to? Well, guys, I preached a sermon and 3,000 people were saved. And I preached another sermon and 5,000 were saved. You think CCB has capacity for that? Right? It's 8,000 people. I mean, it would be insane to try to keep up with that, to try to keep uh, track of that many people and their needs. Who would be insane enough to think that, it, that that was possible? Jesus was. Jesus cares for his people's physical and material well being. Remember, it was God himself who had expressed his desire, going way back to Deuteronomy, that among his people, there would be no poor person. Now, does that mean no hard times will come? Or that everyone will get the same amount? Or that everyone will be living the same lifestyle? No. But it does mean that God cares about our needs being met. Jesus cares about every area of our lives, not just this part that we call the spiritual or the religious. Second, who are deacons then? Now notice what um, the apostles don't do. That's what the text here uh, means when it refers to the 12. It's obviously the 12 apostles. Um, Notice that they don't minimize, they don't argue, and they don't defend themselves against the accusation. They're not suggesting that their uh, work or that their responsibility is somehow more important than what the Hellenists are asking them to do. They don't say, guys, really? I mean, we've just seen 8,000 people saved. Can you calm down? I mean, what's more important? Evangelism is serving needs of the poor. Nor do they say, well, guys, you can understand, we've been a bit busy. I mean, our hands are full, discipling and evangelizing people to Jesus. You don't want us to stop, do you? They don't do any of that. 
So what do they do? Well, first, they give the rationale for what they're about to propose. It reads, or it says, this is what they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, please don't misunderstand. Because it's real easy. And it has been misunderstood. What they are not saying, nor suggesting, is that preaching the word trumps serving tables. As if to suggest, yeah, serving tables is nice. It's a good thing. But we're not going to do it. We're here to preach the word. In fact, quite the opposite. Remember, the church is growing exponentially by leaps and bounds, and they're not saying that manual labor is beneath the apostles. After all, Jesus told them to not only serve tables, but to clean feet. They're simply saying that just as they had been tasked with, had been gifted and called to preach the word, others could perform and indeed are called to serve tables. Now, in this context, to serve tables does not mean literally serving tables. It meant to tend to business, as if to say, to tend or look after church management. So what the apostles are saying is, look, We have been called to this, to preach the word. And it is not correct. It wouldn't be good for any of us for us to stop this. The word has to be preached. But second, they gather the whole church. It says, you read there the phrase, the full number of the disciples. And they say, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. And we'll appoint them to this duty. Now notice that they don't expect everyone to just get out there and serve. In other words, they recognize that while all Christians are called, it's part of our job description, to look after and care for the needs of our neighbor to serve and to love them, some have special gifted authority and a commission to lead and to organize this service for the whole church. These are gifted men who meet spiritual qualifications, a good reputation, full of the spirit or spiritual, spiritually mature, and full of wisdom or wise, They had to be men of good reputation because they were going to be functioning as Jesus' hands and feet to meet the needs of his people. They had to be full of the spirit or spiritually mature because they would be walking alongside of people, providing sensitive, compassionate care that can only come from an overflow and a vibrant life of walking in the spirit. They had to be men full of wisdom. Wise men who knew how to apply knowledge to a variety of situations, often making decisions on the fly. Wise decision-making on the everyday stuff of life. Now later in the New Testament, Paul, many of us know 1 Timothy 3, will go on to give a much fuller, richer description 
of the character traits for deacons, similar to those required of elders, adding that they must be tested and that they must hold to the mysteries of the faith. In other words, as uh, our denominations add interim report on women in the, in the church says, uh, they must know how to make sound ministry decisions, how to explain their work as they do it, and how to articulate the faith, even if they're not suited for public teaching. Here's the point. This is no small junior position. This is not junior varsity, JV, on the way to making varsity. In fact, it's such a high calling that they are set apart by prayer and by the laying on of hands, commissioning, authority, leadership by the apostles and by the whole church. Now, it's around this point, uh, a couple of questions might come to mind. If you're a current deacon, do I even measure up? Or if you're a future deacon, there's no way that describes me. Let me tell you something. Do you know that the Greek uh, word translated here as deacons, diakonos, appears 27 times in the New Testament. And out of those 27 times, the word, the term, is used eight times, about a quarter, to describe Jesus as a minister, as a diaconus as a servant. In other words, God has already provided the perfect diaconus. His son, Jesus Christ. He was the one with good reputation, perfect reputation. Full of the spirit, spiritual, and full of wisdom, all wise who saw our need and served us. He went so far as to give up his very life to meet our deepest need, to be freed from sin and death so that it would no longer hold us in bondage. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God is not looking for perfect deacons. He's already provided him. Now he's looking for willing people. So current deacons, you can take that pressure off of yourself. That pressure to perform, or that pressure to measure up, and future deacons, you can also take that pressure away that you're feeling. Wondering if you're good enough, if your reputation is intact, if you're spiritual enough, if you're wise enough. Let God do his job to equip you and to sanctify you. He who has called you is faithful and he will do it. In Christ the King, let's stop looking to our current deacons as the great diaconists. 
that belongs to Jesus alone. Deacons, a high calling, a distinct calling with its own giftings and graces. But what do they do? Number three, what do deacons do? Although it is true that um, they were called to serve widows, think about what that uh, would have or might have meant practically. They had to set up better systems of distribution. They had to gather and keep the roles of the widows updated. They had to build better mechanisms for delivery. They had to structure and arrange the workload so that the whole church could get involved. Systems, delivery, workload, structure. If this sounds like fun to you, the Lord might be calling you to be a deacon. I jest. But seriously, the one thing I find interesting in this whole episode is that this issue or this barrier, this problem, it's such a practical issue. It's not a doctrinal issue or a theological issue. I mean, you could say maybe it stems from some theological doctrinal misunderstanding, but at its core, it's just a practical problem of church mismanagement, of weak church management. The apostles are evangelizing. They are preaching. They are discipling. They're praying for people. They're visiting the sick. They're struggling to keep up. And as a result, vulnerable people are being overlooked, forgotten perhaps in the distribution of food, which then tells us a bit about what these men selected as deacons were called to do, to distribute material resources to meet the ongoing needs in the church, loving and caring for the needy. We call this mercy ministry. Now, as I mentioned before, serving tables had the connotation of tending to a business. Now, some of you know what this is like. You've started your own business. You know that there is a people side to your business, right? Things like marketing and printing materials, social media, spreading the word, networking, etc. But then you have the operational side. Right? Payroll, tax season, expense report, shipping, delivery, etc. So if you've ever built a business, would you say that the people side is more important or the operational side? It's such a silly question, isn't it? If you only focus on the people side, tax season is going to be miserable. But if you only focus on the operational side, who's going to buy your stuff? See, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And yet, this is how we often think of elders and deacons. You've got the varsity team, which are obviously the elders. And then you have the junior varsity team, who are obviously the deacons. But that is not what Acts 6, or 1 Timothy 3, or Titus 1 or the rest of Paul's letters imply at all. Military recruiter doesn't ask a recruit which leg is strongest or which leg they could do without. You need both legs. Likewise, in our fight against worldly powers and spiritualities and darkness, 
we cannot afford to only have one leg working and the other weak. Deacons have been gifted and called to this irreplaceable, good in itself and holy task. And they are gifts to the church of Jesus. Jesus has designed his church in this way. And so the deacons in this passage, they do their work and they do it well. So well, in fact, that the passage or the section ends in verse 7 this way. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Notice that neither word ministry nor deed ministry were compromised. We often think that in a church we have to choose or prioritize, but this text shows us that it's possible to have both and even desirable, and both can be done really well, yes, of course, only God can produce the fruit or the growth. But I do think that Luke here, the author, intentionally places this sentence after describing the work of the deacons to make sure that we make the connection. The results of good diaconal work is an increase in the ministry of the word, which results in more disciples being made for Jesus. Let me just finish uh, with a few words about our, our current deacons. First off, our deacons are rock stars. Amen? They are the definition of humble servant leaders who work incredibly hard in this church, who always go above and beyond what is asked of them without demanding, requesting any sort of recognition. Honestly, we're blessed to have and so many of you can attest to their hard work. Many of them showed up to your home after Hurricane Harvey, ready to organize your move or clean up debris or help you find solutions to governmental assistance. Others of you have had them help you move out from one home to another and you felt fatherly love through them. They've helped you file for unemployment, talk to attorneys, set up a budget, pay for an unexpected emergency bill, and so much more. And I just want to let you know uh, that they actually have a table set up on Main Street. If any of you want to go by, get to know them, have any questions you'd like to ask, maybe set up a meeting with them, please go up to them. That's what they are here for and they want you to know that but guys they cannot continue doing this incredible work without more of you stepping up and answering the call to serve not all of you but some of you I know God is calling you and has gifted you and equipped you to serve our church in this way I get it. You're busy. You might not think you have the gifts. You feel unprepared, etc., etc. So what do you need to do over the next few months to prepare yourself to answer the call when it comes around again? What needs to change in your schedule, in your job, in your family to make this a priority? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, you are the very definition of a great deacon. You gave it all for us, even your very life, to serve our deepest need. But because you were willing to do that, to step up and serve when nobody else could do it, sacrificing your very body for our sake, because of that, now we enjoy the gifts of knowing a good father who loves us, who knows us by name, all because you served. Father, would you raise more men in our midst to answer the call to this great noble office, this high calling of serving a deacon in our church. We thank you and praise you for our current deacons, the incredible work that they have done for 25 years in our church at Christ the King. Bless them. Fill them even more with your spirit and with wisdom. Let every decision that they make be a wise one because your spirit is with them and because they are following you. Help us all be grateful for the work that they are doing in our midst because this is how you, Jesus, serve us, the church. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen.